that's taking 50 tablets a day and just rattling around, especially in America with your healthcare system. Fucking hell, that's expensive. Sure. And and why? Because we promote illness and we perpetuate illness and, and for profit is, is the sad reality there. But, you know, I do believe that everybody can understand truth. Welcome to the Prime Life Project podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I've got another fantastic guest for you. Like I've been following this guy since 2015, and every single birthday, without fail, for the last however many years it's been, this guy slid into my DMs and wished me a happy birthday without fail. Now, I've got friends that don't even do that. So this year, I happened to be away for my birthday. Um, and again, he, he, he dropped me a message. And normally, we have one or two conversations back and forth. This year, it went a little bit further, went a little bit deeper. We spoke about lockdown. We spoke about what we've been doing. Uh, and I just felt inspired to get him on the podcast. So today, the gentleman that I have for you is... Oh, he's probably one of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. So you'll see as soon as we get him on, like he just got this beaming smile. And his name is Dr. Rob Rakowski. And he's got over 30 years of practicing as a functional medicine doctor, teaching well over 10,000 hours of seminars to natural and medical practitioners around the world. And he's known for his in-depth understanding of psychology and biochemistry. And as I said, he's probably the happiest man I've ever met. Dr. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. And you know what? Happy, 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 beautiful day. When you, when you talk about reaching out and connecting with people, it's one of my favorite things to do. So what a blessing to be able to pay it forward to your listeners, some of the things that we've learned that we can share to add value to people. And I, I believe that's what we're all here to do. Just make the world better. That's exactly it. And I wish more people thought like that. So again, the whole goal for today is just to add some value to people. And as I said to you, the hardest part of having someone like you on this podcast is what the hell are we going to talk about? Because the list of things we could discuss was endless. So I basically went for what I thought would be the biggest bang for the book. And again, we're going to get into that in a second. But for people that don't know about you, could you give my audience a bit of a background about yourself, uh, who you are and what you do on a bit of a deeper level? Sure. So, you know, we start out with with who I am. I'm an inspired teacher. I'm a functional medicine practitioner. Uh, I've got some wonderful formal education with degrees in engineering, biology, nursing, chiropractic, postgraduate degrees in nutrition, kinesiology, acupuncture. But I think my biggest education is self-education, connecting with people and absolutely learning that everyone can teach us something. You know, and as one of my mentors said, you know, people can even teach you how to be a bad example, teach you what not to do, right? Mm -hmm. So we try to find those that mm -hmm. want to and can lead us in the right direction. And so I've been the clinic director of the Natural Medicine Center in Houston, Texas now for 30 years. And we've served world champion athletes from every major professional sport, uh, Olympians from the major Olympic sports. And we've seen the other end of the spectrum, people that medicine gave up on, life gave up on, people sent home to die. Many of these people are alive 10, 20, 25 years later. So we, we found some wonderful success in there. Have you found anything that sort of links the two? Because that is quite a massive diverse thing. You've got the, the athletes, the high-end people, and the everyday people. Is there something that you've noticed that connects the two when it comes to health and happiness? Is there anything sort of connection that you can, or what leads people to not being happy and ending up actually seeing? Well, you know what? It's all connected and we are all connected. But if we wanted to talk about health, we, we you know, we're going to talk about mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, social, mm -hmm. financial, impactful health. 
but I like sevens. When we talk about physical health, you've got to eat right, drink right, think right, move right, sleep right, poop right, talk right every day. And that applies to everybody, whether you're the elite or whether you're on the other end of the spectrum. And reality is the people that are performing better, they're making better choices more consistently. Uh, those that aren't, they're making sometimes very poor choices consistently. And it's sometimes they bought a story that really didn't resonate with their value system and certainly not with their body. You know, if someone says, hey, you've got this value in your blood that's a little off, let's give you a toxin to try to address that. That should never be the first line of fence. Let's see what you're doing in your world that brings this value out of line. And let's see if we can move it forward in a way that actually corrects the problem rather than covering it up. I think there's a big thing when it comes to choices. I, I literally speak about something almost every podcast I do, choice. Every single person has a choice. So why do you think that people, because we all know to be fit and healthy, the basic things we need to do, eat your fruits, eat your vegetables, go outside, exercise. We know this. I think every single person knows this. Yet as a species, we're getting more and more and more and more sick, unhappy, unhealthy. Why do you think we keep making the wrong choices? Well, I, I don't necessarily want to bring up that I think it's by design. You know, there, there's as one of my mentors said, there's not much money in healthy people. There's, you know, not much money in dead people. The money's in between people that are sick and wanting to get healthier. And if they sell them a patch that they keep needing and needing and needing, that actually makes them feel better for a period of time, but ultimately makes them worse where they sell them another patch and another patch and another patch, or I could use the term pill. You know, that's what too many people of the world have bought. You know, if I ask you, do you want it easy or do you want it hard? Most people are going to say, well, give me the easy road. But what if they found out that the easy road really wasn't the easy road? It was the destructive road. It was the hard road. So uh, it is to a very high degree ignorance and buying the wrong story. But it doesn't take long to get people connected with the idea of what it really takes. And when they get on that path, sometimes it just takes a little nudge and people take off from there. I think it's because people know deep down. They know deep down that taking these pills, tablets, they know that it's not the right thing to do. They know that actually, like when it comes to diabetes, for example, obviously you've got type one, you can't help that. I, I understand that. But when it comes to type two diabetes, you've got pre-diabetes now, type three diabetes, where people will go in and they'll understand they're on the road to diabetes. People understand that if they made smarter choices, that actually they could do something about that. Whereas nowadays it's like, oh, actually, let's just give you some insulin or let's just give you this just in case. And it's like, well, no. And, but people do it because they're told to do it, but it doesn't quite sit right with people. And again, I'm just using that as an example. But when, again, for me, it's even something like a headache. You didn't get a headache because you didn't have ibuprofen or you didn't have paracetamol. There's a reason why you didn't have that. And this is when it comes back to me and how I work with my clients. In fact, it's like, again, I've had a big interest in functional medicine, which is how I came about you uh, originally. Now, again, I'm not a functional medicine practitioner, uh, but I understand how the body works. You've got the human physical body. And when that breaks down, people just want to put a, a plaster on it. They just want to, like, oh, here's a pill for that, as you said. But you've got to break it down. Again, the human body is just a collection of tissues, organs, organ systems, but fundamentally cells. What are cells made up of? What are you actually giving your cells? Are your cells actually able to work optimally? If the answer is no, then why don't you maybe address that? Because the body's smart, the body will fix itself. And people don't say, well, within reason, like obviously within reason, like again, every now and again, you've got to take some pills and potions. I'm not saying you don't, but for the vast majority of people, they just sold the wrong information. They're just so desperate for that quick thing 
And before you know it, there's taken 50 tablets a day and just rattling around, especially in America with your healthcare system. Fucking hell, that's expensive. Sure. And, and why? Because we promote illness and we perpetuate illness and, and for profit is, is the sad reality there. But, you know, I do believe that everybody can understand truth and, and especially when they're asked a question in the right way. So let's say a doctor recommends a bottle of pills and I say, OK, well, what happens if you take this entire bottle of pills at one time? Uh, well, you're going to die, right? Almost always or be severely damaged. So how safe can that be? Uh, and they'll get that in a moment. And then we'll share maybe some of the supplements that I use. And I, what, what do you think would happen to you if you took all of this? Well, reality is if you got too much, maybe you'd pass it out through stool really fast with diarrhea or you might even throw up, but you're not going to die. And so mm. ultimately, when we build the body with what the body's made of, we can build a stronger body. When we put toxins in the body, they, by definition, interfere with structure and or function. And in time, the more intoxicated you are, the closer you are to death. And then I might even share with them the symptoms of toxicity, the symptoms of chronic poisoning as published in the Journal of Clinical Chemistry, fatigue, sleep disturbance, intestinal distress, allergy symptoms, headaches, confusion, and anxiety. And then I ask people, if those are your symptoms and those are symptoms related to chronic poisoning, why in the world would you think you would get better adding a poison to that mix? And people mm. often get it. And then that can be the step to them making better choices, better choices, and achieving a better body, mind, spirit life. So when it comes to uh, toxins, could you give me some examples of like what sort of toxins people are getting into? Because obviously there's the toxins that people potentially would, would, would know about from, I don't know, alcohol, stuff like sure. that, which is a poison. But people seem shocked when I say that to them, like obviously alcohol is a poison. But there's other toxins, which I think you're going to hit on, that people don't actually realize is a toxin and can cause issues to them. So people hear this word toxin. Obviously, we're not trying to freak people out today, but it's just making people aware. What sort of toxins could potentially be around them that are building up in them and making them uh, Well, let's rather than naming specific ones, let's just say there are toxins in the air and in all of the air. I don't care if you think you're in the most pristine area of the world, these toxins permeate all the air. There was an interesting study from Columbia University. They put very sophisticated air samplers on pregnant women all over the country. And they just said, okay, what's coming into their body through their air? And every woman that they tested was exposed to hundreds of toxins that were associated with altered brain development, potentially birth defects. So there's toxins in our air, there's toxins in our water, there's toxins in our food. Let's go even further than that. Our body makes toxins. When we bring oxygen in and the cell makes energy, carbon dioxide comes out of the cell. Carbon dioxide adds to water and the blood to form carbonic acid. It's the number one self-generated toxin. Then each of our little individual cells, they all eat, drink, and go to the bathroom. And guess what? The things that they eliminate are toxic and all of our elimination routes need to get rid of them. So if we just look at the general category of toxins, over 80,000 registered toxic chemicals in the environment. And when they study toxicology, they study these things one at a time, not combinations of two, three, five, or 10 or 20 or 80,000. So if we have an alphabet of 26 letters and we can make a near infinite number of words, how many words or toxic combinations do you think you can come up with out of 80,000 toxins? And it's a huge mm. burden. And so one of my rules in physiology is when in doubt and in clinical practice, when in doubt detox, because it often gets the most bang for the buck. So let's talk about detox. I know we weren't, but this wasn't planned on this. I knew full well that we were going to go down some rabbit holes today. The term detox, 
pisses me off. Now, it pisses me off because detoxes are normally pushed by influencers on social media. And it's just like, oh, it's going to go on a, a three-day juice detox. That's most of my audience listening to you say the word detox. That's instantly what they'll think. I know that's not what detox is. So can we talk about what an actual detox is? Because the only thing people will have heard about detox is their latest celebrity like Kim Kardashian doing a three-day detox because they've got smashed off their tits at the weekend and they want to be healthy or drop some weight or whatever the, the, the latest crap they're selling is. So what actually does detoxification look like when done properly? Well, I'll tell you, it can take on many different forms, but the number one rule in toxicology is separate yourself from the toxic source. So stop putting toxins in your body, start facilitating elimination from your body. Uh, you know, I had a new patient in this morning and, you know, she told me that it's not uncommon for her to have one bowel movement a week. And, you know, our bodies should eliminate all of our elimination routes. You know, your bowels should move at least once a day, preferably two or three times a day, a nice form stool. That's determined by fiber, water, neurologic tone. But we've got the liver, we've got the kidneys, we've got the lungs, we've got the skin, we've got the lymphatic system, we've got the bowels. And we want all of those to work ideally. So sometimes people would question detox and they'd say, well, I don't think we need to detox. And then I will jokingly say, all right, let's do an experiment. Let's just you and I stop detoxing right now. Now, the basic element of detox is to exhale. So guess what? This person is probably going to be dead in four minutes, unless they're a pearl diver from Fiji, then maybe they get Four minutes, four minutes. I'm thinking, I, I don't think it'd have been 60 seconds. I don't think I could have my breath for 60. They're going to be dead, you know, just that simple. And so we have to continue detoxing. Now, when we start looking at detox and we start looking at the liver, the liver is really an organ that gets a lot of uh, press and it should. But when toxins come in, there's a series of reactions that happen that open up a binding site on the toxin. Then we neutralize it with something else and we either convert it to a water-soluble toxin that can be passed out in the urine or kidneys or a fat-soluble toxin. It can be dumped in the bile and go out through the stool. But there's a transformation that happens. It goes from something that's harmful to something that is neutral and the body can get rid of it. We sweat out toxins, we exhale toxins, liver and kidneys work together. Bowel has a little different mechanism, can work with the kidneys as well. But ultimately, we want all these things working. And I'll tell you what, you make any one of them not work, what happens if your kidneys stop working? You're going to die. How about if your liver stops working? You're going to die. How about if your bowels stop working? You're going to die. How about if your lungs stop working? You're going to die. Uh, how about if your skin stops working? You're going to die. So these are all life critical functions. Now, once we separate ourselves from the toxic source, the first phase of liver detoxification is protein dependent. There's these series of enzymes called the cytochrome P450 superfamily of enzymes. So when you go on a juice fast, 24 hours into that, you start decreasing the activity of the liver enzymes or your body is gonna have to break down lean tissue to make proteins, to make these enzymes to detox. So, a, you know, that type of fast or detox is really not a good idea. Then we've got a whole series of neutralizing substance in phase two liver detoxification, but we need proteins, we need nutrients, we need energy, uh, and we need to give the body a break from toxins, put in all healthy things. And I usually like seven to 10 days, but you know, with the right program, you can get a lot done in three days. But it's the thing, you've hit the nun head here because People will be like, yeah, but I lose a lot of weight when I do my, my juice tea and or whatever. The, the, the. 
yeah, but you're eating into your lean muscle mass. So you're, you're not dropping body fat. Technically, what you're doing is making yourself fatter. You're destroying the metabolic tissue within your body. You're, 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 you're maintaining the body fat. You're losing your muscle mass. Therefore, percentage-wise, you have more fat now than muscle. You've just got fatter. And people can't understand that. And they just all this number on the scale. So again, that's another podcast I've done speaking all about that. But I love how you spoke about breath work. So the last podcast I had on was a guy called uh, Craig Seaton. We spoke all about breath work. And it was absolutely brilliant about how the body, which is actually breathing properly. And again, we're talking about it from a mindset meditative point of view. And it's absolutely brilliant. So I'm glad that you brought that up because people don't actually realize that your skin is the biggest detox organ that you've got. The fact of actually sweating, like it is an organ, like looking after your skin. But now we're trying to stop ourselves from sweating. Again, with, with the breathing, most of us are breathing from our, uh, our chest, not from our diaphragm. There's all these things. And even the basic act, you'd be, well, you wouldn't be surprised because you have to see this all the time. But people would be so surprised to, to hear that the amount of people I get come to see me and they are literally going to the toilet once a week and then relying on laxatives. And you're thinking to yourself, you're destroying your bodily function. Like I say to people when it comes to uh, going to the toilet about a bin, if you had a bin that was just sat there overflowing and festering, you, you'd, you'd want to empty that. You, you'd, you'd question that, but we don't question ourselves when we don't actually go to the toilet. And it's just a normal thing. Even like urine, like when people's piss is like just like the most disgusting color of yellow, we don't question that. And we'd much rather have a Coke, Coke Zero, Diet Coke, whatever the latest bloody thing is, rather than just having water. And again, you hit the nail on the head. And I'm so glad that you've said this with your background rather than just me seem like a nutter about the world being set up for us to fail and the fact there's not money in healthy people. I'm a firm believer in this. And people think I'm a, a crazy nut job when I say it, but just look at what's around us. You go to a gas station, what's the first thing that's there? Sweets, chocolate, candy. When you go to your grocery store, what's the first thing that's there? Chocolate bars, cookies, donuts. The healthy stuff is, is not pushed enough. And again, I'm not, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole just yet, but the whole thing with coronavirus proved it just to me, the fact of the biggest thing people could do is actually look after themselves and their own immune system rather than fucking opening up all the fast food restaurants, closing down the fucking gyms and telling people to stay at home. I mean, and this is the thing that I talk about. People hear that stuff and they, they understand it doesn't make sense, yet they don't do anything about it. It just blows my fucking mind. Now, we could really open a rabbit hole with that one. But when we talk about the whole industry of wellness, all of wellness combined, they estimate is a, a trillion dollar a year industry. U.S. alone, the sickness industry is over three trillion dollars a year. And we represent 4.4 percent of the world population. So, you know, you, you may have to multiply that number by, you know, 25 X to find out what the real price of sickness is, or we probably spend more on it than that, but trillions and trillions and trillions on sickness and just a tiny fraction of that on health. Completely agree. This is one thing I want to go back on when we talk about toxins, which, um, we spoke about toxins and the first thing you said was when you've got a toxin in the body or whatever it is, you're exposed to a toxin. Uh, the first thing you do is stop putting that toxin, toxin in your body. Uh, and then the second thing is remove it and then heal yourself. I just want to put a spin on that. That applies to people as mm -hmm. well. So when you have toxic people in your life, the first thing you need to do is stop putting those toxic people in your energy zone. Get rid of them. Remove them and then actually heal yourself from that. So I just want to hit on that because, again, that's kind of like where we're segueing into. But you, you said that about the toxins in the body and stuff like that. I thought that is a perfect metaphor for, again, what you should do with toxic people. So if people want a formula on how to get rid of toxic people, remove them, heal yourself. Couldn't have put it any better myself. You know, I want to share a quote that I've, I've heard a few times. I don't know who to give it to, but, you know, everybody has my love. You don't have to earn my love, but you do have to earn my time and you do have to earn my proximity. 
And, you know, Stephen Covey wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he said one of his habits is win-win or no deal. So how do we get a win together as a human? We add value to each other. That's a win-win. But if there are humans out there that are pretty good examples of what a parasite would be, you know, they, they take and they mm. intoxicate in return. Now, those are people we're going to love from a distance. And, and those are the people that teach us how to be a bad example. We learn that. Uh, but it's been said, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so we want people in proximity that together we lift each other up to make the world better. So on that note, then, because again, I've spoken about this before, I want to know your take on this, because people, that's really easy to say. Yeah, yeah, you've got to like, remove the parasites, remove the, the toxic people. But what if that's a friend or family member? So what, what, what if that is yeah, your brother, your mother? How do you go about that? Because again, I know that this is where we're sort of segueing into now, but what would you say to people that are struggling with toxic, parasitic people in their life? What would you say they can do to try and remove them from their life? Well, Eleanor Roosevelt said something to the effect that no one can make me feel a certain way without my permission. So we have to then have this level of self-mastery. And there have been many masters on the planet where it doesn't matter who is in your general area. You love them. You appreciate them. By the way, the word appreciate literally means to add value. And hopefully you love them enough, add value enough that we can move them forward. And, you know, as I took plenty of parenting courses, I've got three wonderful adult children and I've got grandchildren now. And it's so beautiful to see your kids, by the way, turn into great parents. But ultimately, you know, one of the things I was taught was if, if a child's having a problem, you say, you know what, I love you. Make no mistake about that. I love you unconditionally, no matter what. But that behavior, I don't love. And here's why. And here's what happens with that level of behavior. And here's how I'm going to suggest we correct it. You know, so think about it. When you give a, put a child in, in a different room, you're creating space and you're giving them a space to think about it. You said you just had a mini sabbatical writing poetry. How awesome is that? You know, when people realize, hey, there are some things that are stressful. I need to get back and get in touch with me, get in touch with the person running this show, make myself better, more at peace so that when these people do come into my area, well, I've got to recover. But ultimately, we need to take care of ourselves so well every day that we're strong enough, we have enough reserve. You know, the term hero literally means strong enough for two. We want to be strong enough for two or three or five or 10 or 20 and have our balance so good that we can't disrupt it. It's, this goes back thousands of years. The emperor Marcus Aurelius used to have what he called the equanimity game. If he got knocked out of balance, how quickly can I find balance? And by the way, they said he was the last really good emperor. If we go to Abe Lincoln, mm. he says, if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Well, the emperor was quite powerful back then. We can mm. see what character people in power are having now. And I, I think it's time to vote a lot of these people out. No, uh, people get scared, though, don't they? And again, especially with everything that's going on nowadays, I think being scared is the main narrative on people's minds. People are just petrified. And again, it just it, I can't see it getting any better anytime soon. Uh, you hit so many key points there about people taking personal responsibility for their own happiness and getting themselves back to balance again. Now, you are probably, as I said, one of the most positive people that I've come across, but you are not immune to feelings. You will feel down. You will feel this negative thing that we all do especially during coronavirus and all this stuff because there would have been at some point at the start like i think everyone did where you're a bit like what the fuck is this the scare thing is all everyone would have had that so how do you 
get yourself on this level because you are very, very positive. Your outlook is absolutely fantastic and wonderful, but I'm assuming it wasn't always that way. So how have you got yourself to this place? And is there any words of wisdom you can impart on my audience on how they can actually get themselves back into balance? Because you seem to be the master at this. Like you look like the kind of guy that doesn't have bad days. I know better to know that you do still have bad days because you're human. And I know that you're still human to my knowledge, but how else can people get this almost superhuman ability that you have to constantly be amazing? And well, I think it's a conscious choice and we do have to be conscious. And by the way, that's mind, body, spirit. And then ultimately everybody has self-care habits. You know, when it comes to eat right, drink right, think right, move right, sleep right, poop right, talk right, everybody's going to have their number one. My number one is sleep. If I get a great night's sleep, it's very, very easy to have a great day If I don't get a great night's sleep, I know that that day is going to have more challenges than typical. So I have to find a way to get a nap, get some rest, get some more earthing, get some more exercise, get some more peace, get some more meditation. But ultimately, I'm a huge fan of coaches. I've got plenty of coaches. I've got plenty of mentors. And let's say something really knocks me off my center. I'll reach out to one of my coaches or mentors, someone that has plenty of wisdom, and I'll say, I'm struggling with this. Do you have a few words of wisdom? Can we talk? And you would be surprised at how just a few of the right words and the right direction can move you in a better direction. So if we were to take this issue with the world, I don't even like to name it because there's so many things that are wrong with that. Naming it gets us uh, often censored. But the very first Nobel Prize in medicine, we're talking about like 1902, was something called convalescent plasma. Someone got the idea that if someone got infected with a really bad virus, what if you took plasma from a healthy person and infused it in the recently infected person? What would happen? Well over 100 years ago, they had a phenomenal success rate, cure rate. So that was the first Nobel Prize in medicine. Now, early on in a recent virus, They were using convalescent plasma, and there were two studies that were published, Proceeds National Academy of Science, New England Journal of Medicine, small studies each, but they both had 100% cure rate. When they took people that had been infected, recovered, got the plasma, infused it into other people, 100%. So when they said, okay, we're going to keep people in their home, we're going to keep people separate, we're going to keep people social distance, what they were doing was keeping the healthy from getting it and therefore blocking the cure. Uh, And Mm. you know what? I came about that information from a roundabout way. People that are running health, making health policies, they had to have access to that type of information. So somehow, some way, that was one cure that was suppressed. But let's go back a step further. People were very concerned. They reached out to me because they know I know a few things about health. So I said, okay, how about the first version of this virus? What did we find out was effective against that? There were 38 published effective treatments for the first version of this virus. And by the way, as time goes on, most of these things were proven in very good clinical studies to be effective for this most recent version of the virus. But as you will notice, a lot of effective treatments, pharmaceutical and natural, have been blocked, have been censored. Mm. Doctors have been blocked. So you just have to ask yourself the question, why? And, you know, if truth shall set us free, blocking the truth will imprison us. We all have to be ambassadors for truth. 
I, I've said this all along. Uh, again, I keep my opinions on this to myself because, as you said, you get censored and people don't pay me for my opinions. They pay me to get them in shape and sort the mental health out. They don't ask my opinion on this. But since we're on the topic of this, I will give my opinion on it. I've always said from day one, I've said to my family, that the truth will come out. The truth will come out. And the people that have done this stuff uh, will be held accountable to it. Uh, and it's disgusting. It's just all, all my opinion that's going to be on it. Again, I don't for a thing. I'm not one of these nut jobs that thinks that coronavirus is not real. It is very, very real. I just think that it's not been handled correctly at all in any way, shape or form. Uh, and as you sort of said, it's almost fucking idiotic. I, I am not a qualified doctor in any way, shape, or form, and I could see that it was fucking idiotic. So anyway, well, there I'm going to leave that. Hundreds of thousands of qualified doctors that agree with you, and the vast majority of them have been censored. Yes, hundred percent, and that's upset. Yeah, but people don't believe that because it's not all over the news. So as I said, it's uh, the rabbit hole of the, uh, Dan this, Doctor Bob is is uh, enormous. And again, uh, I just want to leave that topic there. I'm, we're going to. Well, I know we're going to loop back to it in a second because it's inevitable. But it, I, I just wanted to, the audience to hear. Uh, someone that has got such vast knowledge on this subject uh again this is not just someone on the street or down the pub or again you guys down the bar that's just giving their opinion this is, is someone that's actually there this is his job this is his livelihood he's not just some some quack whack job that's just just speaking out of his ass he knows what he's talking about so i just want to talk about seven things that people should do to be enhancing their lives. This is where I really want to go with it, this topic today. And again, we've already covered a, a lot more than I even thought we were going to, and I knew that we would. But the seven things you said, seven areas of life that people uh, should do to enhance uh, their lives. And it's focusing on their mental, physical, spiritual, social, financial, and impactfulness. So can we just break down each of the individuals? Because again, the seven, you love sevens, and, I, and I, I, I love that. And we've already hit on a few of these already. But can we break down each one of these individually? Uh, and with each one, give my audience some usable, tangible information that as soon as they listen to this, they can be like, oh, yeah, I can do that straight away. So can we just start with mental? How can people enhance their mental well-being? I know we've touched on this a little bit. Uh, so but again, let's just add some more value. How can we work on uh, that mental aspect? I want to qualify first and foremost to let everybody know that everybody's mental potential, and I mean everybody's mental potential, is absolute genius. There was a brain researcher in the 50s. His name was Glenn Doman. He, pri- he pioneered cry- cryogenic brain surgery, and he said every child born, every child born has the inborn potential at least that of Leonardo da Vinci. And he said, it didn't matter race. It didn't matter gender. It didn't even matter brain damage. Our brain has so much potential that we can get there. So how do you develop that mental potential? And I've come to the conclusion that it has to be through you being inspired to do what you love. So you have inspiration to share, to help people enhance their mental health, their physical health, Because of your journey, and by the way, I believe your journey was a gift to you, because look at what you bring to the world right now. Someone better, stronger, faster, smarter, sharing, expanding, reaching to the world, but find out that which inspires you. So remember Confucius, he said, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. If you find out what you love, you'll keep pursuing that. You'll want to get better with it. You'll want to share it. You'll want to expand it. And that ultimately is going to be the key to the mind. Find out what information you're so in love with, what skill you're so in love with that you will keep pursuing it. I had a, a phenomenal musician in as a patient two hours ago in my, in my clinic. This guy is now in his 60s and he loves music as much as he did throughout his entire life. And he's thrilled. He said, Bob, I've finally gotten to the point where 
60 something years where my music now pays for everything. He says, I'll take every gig because I love to play, but I realize every gig is an audition for the next gig. And I said, what keeps you going in that? He says, learning more and helping people smile. Well, if you can do that with whatever you have determined, you will keep expanding your mind. And by the way, that musical mind is very integrated. They know that when people play the piano, they integrate both sides. When they play the guitar, they have phenomenal connections. It's different connections than Michael Phelps, who loves swimming, uh, and different connections mm -hmm. than, than, you know, just depending on what your expertise is. But ultimately, find out what you have that love with, something that you would do no matter what, and you love expanding, enjoying, and sharing. So it's got to be inspired mental activity. I love that because, again, on the last episode, I hope my audience picked this up, that Craig said the exact same thing. Owen said the exact same thing. Numerous guests of mine said the exact same thing here. Like, what would you be doing if you weren't getting paid for it? And as I, as I mentioned numerous times, this podcast costs me money. Mike, it costs me money. But I don't do it for any other reason than to help people. Would I be doing this if I wasn't making money? Yes, because I'm not making money. It's costing me money. But it puts me in contact with people like you. And right now, I'm absolutely loving life. I mean, I'm, as I said on the Craig episode, and again, it, it's not me bullshit. I'm in such a state of gratitude right now that I get to share your knowledge and wisdom with my audience because I know people need to hear this information. But for me, I think a lot of people are scared. They're scared because at the minute they're comfortable and they're worried, well, I mean, what if people don't accept my music? What if people don't accept my drawings, my paintings and stuff like that? What would you say to people that are in that sort of scared bubble that they, or they don't even know what inspires them? How would, how would you get someone to find what, because it's, it's hard when we're told from such an early age to suppress that creativity. So we can get people, again, you know what the school system is like in America. It's the same in the UK. It's just do as you're told. You can't be creative. You can't think outside the box. Me and Mike spoke about this in extensive detail. So how do you find that creative spark when it's been put out for so long? Well, you brought up a really good point. And I'll say, I'll talk about the four C's of education. It's creativity, it's critical thinking, it's communication, it's collaboration. And sadly, so much of our education is not doing that. But if you take any child, they have some activity that they fall in love with. And we just go back and say, what did you love to do as a child? If you could do anything with your day, what would you do? And then ultimately do what you love and find a way to add value to the world. So when you start looking at, well, what if they don't like my paintings? What if they don't like my drawings? What if they don't like my music? That is completely irre irrelevant. Do you like it? And so mm -hmm. keep in mind that we have a lot more starving artists than we have thriving artists. But if you take on your, whatever you do for money as being that which frees you up with space and time and resources to pursue your art, then you can put a good spin on it. You can put appreciation on it. You can add positivity to anything you do. Just imagine if you're going to a job that you're not crazy about, but you say, this allows me to spend time with my music, to spend time with my art, to cultivate my talents. And ultimately my game plan is to cultivate that in a way that I can save the world, uh, share with the world, enhance the world. And I'll, I'll talk about my patient. He's in his 60s at this point, and he's worked other jobs his entire life. Even though he's quite talented, he finally now got to the point and he's happier than ever. But you know what? Every week when he, when he has music, when he puts smiles on people's faces, he realizes that that's his calling and he feels good when he does it. So are we going to feel good 24-7, 365? Most, no, none of us are. 
Can we feel good the majority of the time? That's what we need to work for. Do we often need to pay a price to get there? Most of us do. And most of us, we're going to pay that price for a period of time. But ultimately, it's, it's things worth investing in. Exactly. It's worth it. It's always worth it. And nothing worth having comes easy. I love that you said that again, there's a, a gentleman called Andy Fritzell. I don't know if you've heard of him or follow him at all, but he's, he's one of my, I call him an online mentor. I've never met him, never seen him in my life, but I love his podcast. I love what he's about. And one of his biggest things is no matter what you're doing, even if you're working at McDonald's and your job is to do the fries, he says, be the best fry person that there is. Like just love doing that. Like, that is your job. Just love that. Because again, people will notice that and people are always watching. And that's one of the biggest things with this. Like, you may not be doing the job that you want to do right now. Like, you may be doing your rap music or your, your artistry in the background. And again, it's hard, it's long days, but people will notice. People will start to notice if you show up to work and you constantly show up and you're consistent and you constantly are trying to add value. You're trying to see how can I help other people? You're being the best version of you, no matter what that looks like, but you're working with what you've got, but you know that that passion is there in the background. That's the key thing. Just finding what's about. Dr. Bob, I absolutely love that. I'm so glad you've said that because again, it's, I said this on the last episode, how you articulate things. Again, it's very different to how I've heard it said before. And again, you're a very, very wise man. You're, you're quoting all these people, like your, your recall of these quotes. I'm sure if I want to recall a quote, it takes me about five seconds to think, who said that? What was it? You just, it's just there on the tip of your tongue and it's absolutely brilliant how you're articulating it. So that's mental. I absolutely love that. And I think, uh, again, especially when we did the whole uh, episode about finding your purpose and passion, that's a big thing that I think people struggle with. So again, some great advice there. And I absolutely love that. Uh, how about physical? So again, physical, obviously, obviously my forte when it comes to yeah. the gym and stuff like that. But when it comes to physical stuff, it doesn't even have to be about the gym. It doesn't have, and again, people get that confused. So what do you mean by um, enhancing people's physical uh, well, we've got this body that carries us around, right? It houses our mind, our body, our, our spirit, right? It helps us to move different places. So I tell people you've got to eat right, drink right, think right, move right, sleep right, poop right, talk right. Every single day when it comes to our physical body, I like moving every joint, every range of motion every day. And here's the qualifier, pain-free. So when you stay pain-free, now I'm not talking about the pain of an intense muscle contraction or lactic acid building up. You know, there's plenty of people that have joint dysfunction. They move at a certain level and they go, ow. Okay, well, go in the area that your body lets you have it pain-free. And when you master that area, it will give you more. And you know what? That's what we were talking about, the person with French fries. When you master that area, life gives you more. So ultimately, we want to figure out what we want to do with this physical body. But I was giving a lecture in London, uh, this is about four years ago, for a children's cancer charity. And I was one of three lecturers. One was a sports psychologist talking about mind and keeping your mind right while you're during the battle. Someone was a, an exercise specialist and they were talking about moving your physical body. And then I was talking about nutrition and cancer and things like that. But the woman who brought step aerobics to the UK, she started with the statement. She says, most people are about as fit as they need to be to do the things that they enjoy. So think about that. You know, if you like going dancing multiple times a week, you're going to be fit to dance multiple times a week. If you like powerlifting multiple times a week, you're going to be fit for that. If you like basketball, if you like swimming, uh, if you like sitting on the couch and that's what you like to do, well, you're not going to have a whole lot of fitness there. But ultimately, that person would probably have to have the discipline to, to find a way to entertain themselves while they go for a walk around the block, you know, preferably at least getting those 10,000 steps in a day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest things that you hit on there is by not skipping steps. And again, when you talk about like the, you want to get that full range of motion in your neck, like, okay, start small, 
the more you master that, then you can move on to the next level. It's like a video game. You've got to go through one level, like Mario Kart or uh, sorry, the, uh, Mario, whatever it is, or Sonic the Hedgehog. You've got to complete that one level before you can go on to the next level. The problem is people in life want to skip steps. They want to be a millionaire. They're thinking that's going to make them happy. That's a whole other conversation we'll get to in a second when it comes to finances. But people think that they, they just want to skip steps. They don't want to create something. They don't want to take the time to build something. They don't want to take the time to be good at something. They just want to skip the steps. When it comes to fat loss, they don't actually want to do the work. They don't actually want to go through the whole cell signaling, the fact that the body actually needs to signal the fat loss to break it down, transport it, blah, blah. They want to just take a tablet and it then just happen. Or they want to have an injection or whatever it is. Something stupid. People want to skip steps but they don't understand that actually doing the steps is the thing that builds up the skills that helps people keep it at the end. I use the analogy of when, uh, if people win the lottery, how many people win the lottery and end up broke five years later? It's because they can't, if you can't master a hundred pounds, you can't master a million pounds. So don't skip the steps. And that goes for anything, whether it's financial, physical, mental, whatever it is. And again, people, me and Mikey talk about this all the time. People, when it comes to the spiritual mindset journey, people want to be a quote unquote guru or an expert in something. It's like, you haven't mastered your own shit yet. Like, just don't skip the steps. Like, get yourself to a place where you are good. Not okay, where you are good. You are thriving. And then you can start to regurgitate this information, pass this information on. Don't just pass this information on because you've read it in a book. Don't skip the steps because people want to be this overnight YouTube sensation or whatever it is. No nothing's overnight. It takes time. So I know you didn't directly put it in that way, but I just want to unpick that and sort of just, just throw that back at the audience of don't skip your steps. Uh, next one, spiritual. Uh, and again, we, me and Mike have been going down this rabbit hole with, with some guests recently. So talk to me about spiritual. I, I absolutely love this. So talk to me about spiritual. You know, I, I've got a lot of great mentors, including spiritual mentors. And, and one of my favorites and possibly my favorite living author today is Dr. Tom Morris. And I affectionately call him PhD. He's got his PhD in philosophy, PhD in religion from Yale. Taught philosophy mm -hmm. at Notre Dame University for 15 years. Has since wrote over 30 books. But when he talks about the spiritual component of life in studying the great sages from every culture, every religion, everybody that had something to say, he says they, it all comes down to one thing, and that's the term unity. We are all from the same source. We're all part of the same source. We're all brothers, we're all sisters. We all have a purpose. And if you see that person who's struggling and you actually know that's your brother or sister, wouldn't you be more loving than if you saw them as something other than that? And ultimately, mm. when we can see that, then we can have love for people. Uh, and, you know, when we start talking about grand design, I was listening to a different speaker this morning. He says, you know, there were cells on planet Earth a billion years ago and fossil remains show that. But if you were to take a living cell and, and get all the Nobel Prize winners that were ever created, that ever evolved, that ever happened, and they were to get together in a room and say, OK, just make just make one of those cells. They would fail miserably. So somehow, some way. There is this universal overriding intelligence that creates life, that keeps the planets in orbit, and we're all from that source. And if we can recognize that uh, and then ultimately treat others like we want to be treated, right? That's that wonderful golden rule that also goes through timeless uh, many, many cultures, then we've got words to live by. I love that. That, that golden rule. Again, this is where... 
mate, I love you. I think you're absolutely brilliant. Like that is that was that right there was fantastic. That universe, I, I completely agree. Uh, people say about me being religious. I'm not religious. Religious. I'm spiritual. Meaning that for me, I just believe this universal energy. Don't know what it is, but it's there. We're all from the same thing. And again, it's when it comes when people under if people understood this, it would eradicate racism. It would eradicate these wars, these religious wars, all that sort of stuff. It's people just trying to hold on to this identity, this false identity belief to trying to, again, just empower themselves for this stupid belief system they've got. It's, we're all exactly the same. We are all exactly the same. And treat us how you want to be treated is essentially, if you break down every single religious text that's out there, every single one without fail has that in there is essentially the golden rule to basically how not to be a piece of shit, how to actually lead an amazing life. Yet, no one, I say no one, the vast majority of people do not follow it. And it blows my mind. It blows my mind uh, that, that people, for some reason, are so wrapped up in their own self-worth that they will see someone that's struggling and belittle them. They'll see someone doing this. And that could be you. No, you're not guaranteed health. You're not guaranteed wealth. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So why do people... It's almost like a question. Why do you think people do that? Why do people look down on uh, people poorer than them, the people that are less fortunate, when at any point it could be them? Because this universal energy doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care if you're straight, if you're male, if you're female, it doesn't care what race you are. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care. And ultimately, death comes to us all. So why do we do this thinking that somehow we are special? You know what? I'm going to go to one of my mentors that said, it's easy to be down on that which you are not up on. And now we're going to get deeply philosophical. So when Einstein came up with E equals MC squared, you know, he started defining the laws of the universe. And someone that followed Einstein said, well, if there's matter, there must be antimatter. And there is. And when you combine matter and antimatter, you get light. Well, one of my mentors, Dr. John Martini, said he started contemplating the question, what if you could see the positive and negative of every circumstance? Because there's two sides to every coin. There's two sides to every virtue. He says, what if you could see both the positive and negative and everything? Then you would get enlightenment. And so ultimately, when someone's on a path, you know, we don't want to judge any path. That also is universal. Whatever you see in that person you see in yourself, why not see love? The, the only reason people push our buttons is because there's something about what we're seeing that creates pain within ourselves. That's what gets us resentful or angry or, or outcasting. But instead, can we see the positive? Can we see the negative? You know, whatever your journey was, there was a time when it, when it was negative, mine as well. But what did we find out? It turned out to be the biggest positive that we've ever had. And ultimately, if that person awakens a negative thought within us, hopefully we realize and say, I can be more loving. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. We want to strive to be our best selves. And we know when we fall short and we fall short, it just doesn't feel good. And we all want to feel good. And then it's a case of them reflecting on what can you do next time to make sure it doesn't happen again. And that's where people go wrong. They're like, oh, that didn't feel good. Let's ignore that. And they'll do it again. And then ignore it. When actually, it takes that time to actually just point the finger inwards. What can I do about that? And you've said this twice, actually, about my journey. Uh, you're completely right. I've not said it on this podcast, well, I don't think, but depression is the best thing that ever happened to me. And again, you hit the nail on the head because it's now allowed me to be in this place, connecting with people like you and helping the amount of people I do. So I, I, I completely stand by that. Uh, and there's a rule from one of my mentors, again, that basically said to me uh, that life happens for us, not to us. And too many people think that life happens to us and it doesn't, it happens for us. Like everything happens for us. Every single negative happens for us. You may not see it in that moment, but as you said, you have a choice. How are you going to look at this? Are you going to look, be the victim 
or actually going to flip it on its head and be like, right, how can I learn from this? What's this teaching me? And how is this helping me ultimately be the best version of me? Absolutely love that. That was, that was my favorite one you said so far, the spiritual. Social. Now, again, this is something that a lot of people have really struggled with recently when it comes to lockdowns. Again, this has been, the, the bizarre thing about this is this has been universal. So this hasn't been an American problem, a Canadian problem, a UK problem. This has been a global problem. And we've been completely, even the term social distancing, I fucking hate that thing because the whole point is we're social beings. We shouldn't be socially distancing. We as a species, we are so connected. The, the instant thing, I, I could, I, we were messaging in real time you were literally in America. I was sat there in Cornwall and we were connecting in real time. That, that, that It's instant how we can connect with people. Never been so connected in our lives. Yet as a species, we've never been more lonely. Never. Never in our lives been more lonely. Blows my mind. So talk to him about social. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. We are social animals. And if you look, our survival is completely dependent on us working together, honoring one another, bringing in people with different talents so that the whole is much greater than the sum of the parts. That is the grand design. Now, there's a, a, a brainiac book uh, called Sapiens written by Yoval Noah Harari. And it's a phenomenal book. And it's basically the history of humankind. And he, you know, if you ask, how did this little obscure ape, that's what he calls us, rise to such dominance on planet earth and really throughout this entire galaxy. And it's really quite simple because we've learned to work together. So we're always stronger together and weaker apart. So now if we go back to what's going on, is there any science behind social distancing? Absolutely none. So is there something to that, that we might say, okay, what was the reason behind this and what can we do about it? And remember, the truth shall set us all free, including to gather again. But there are places that have never used the social distancing, and they're not having any problems at all. So, uh, you know, the, the, the countries that have the most restrictive measures are by far worse off. So if we can learn and study, and by the way, that is the value of being connected, we can connect with one another on social media. And if we're clever about how we say things, we don't get censored. Uh, and, and so we try to be that, but uh, ultimately, you said it best. We are social. We're stronger together. We can all synergize. And keep in mind, if you want your best life, it's hard to have your best life to reach your potential without serving others. If we serve the masses, then we ultimately have the greatest reward coming back because we do reap what we sow. And that's one of the biggest things I learned in business was when I, this is before my depression. And again, my whole business thing was, how can I make as much money as possible? I need clients, 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 money, 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 results, basically just results, get results, get results, get results. So again, it was coming from a place of getting results ultimately to help the client, but it was more coming from a selfish place, get the results, social proof, grow my business. When I then flipped it on its head, and again, I learned this again from my depression. Uh, and again, it, how can you add as much value to people as possible? How can you add as much value? So then when I flipped on its head and when clients came in, I'm like, how can I help you? How can I actually, what do you need? How can I help? My business exploded because you're coming from a place of love. How can I help? What can I do to serve you? And again, on this podcast, on notes, the first thing I said was, all I want to do is just add value. That's it. There's, there's no ulterior motive here for me. I don't make any money from this. It's how can you come on and add value to people? So again, that makes you feel good because you're coming on hitting a completely different audience that may never heard of you in the UK. You're adding value. I'm then adding value to, to, to again, to, to yourself, like helping connect, connect with you and then my audience as well. 
And it's just bizarre when you just flip it on its head and think to yourself, rather than being completely selfish, be selfless and be like, right, how can I help add value? And when, when you do that, the world, the universe, is universal energy rewards you and it all comes from back in. And it's bizarre. So that's my own personal journey with that. So I just want to confirm through my personal experience of where I am now and how people have seen me grow. That's where it's come from. How can I help? How can I serve you? And it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I love that you said that. Financial. This is one of the biggest things for me that, oh, Jesus, like this, this was a, this was a thorn in my side, uh, until I was 28 years old, this was. And again, when we go through everything, there's no benefit to people being financially educated, none, because banks don't make money from people being financially educated. Businesses don't make money from people being financially educated. The only people that benefit are the big banks and the big companies and the corporations. So talk to me about financial. Well, you just inspired a, a thought and a memory. So there's a book, it's, it's called Lessons of History, and it was written by possibly the greatest historian of all time. His name is Will Durant. And when he talked about the lessons of money, and by the way, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna take a second before I do lessons of money. Yep. He talked about the lessons of politics. And you go back all the, all the societies, all the ages, doesn't matter where on the planet, politics were always accompanied by corruption. They always have, and they always will be. So that's probably a really good idea for term limits and you know, having the corrupt people get them out. But his lessons of money, he said, men who can manage men will manage men who can only manage things, but men who manage money manage everything. And so mm -hmm. now when we start looking at that, we want to have a financial IQ, otherwise, we're going to be, you know, contributing to somebody else's wealth rather than accumulating our own. But the rule for mm -hmm. finance is pretty simple. Impact before income. Little impact, little income. Big impact, big income. Some people have said the bigger the problem, the bigger the payday. What are we here to do? People buy only two things. They buy good feelings and they buy solutions to problems. Now you figure out where you want to be uh, on that scale. Do you want to be a problem solver? Awesome. The bigger the problem, the bigger payday. You want to create good feelings? Hey, that's why entertainers get a lot of money. That's why sports stars get a lot of money. There's a lot of people that want to take a little bit of out of their day and watch someone else excel, uh, you know, and, and entertain them. And, and that's how they make their money. But ultimately now for us to make money, what do we want to do? We want to find out what we really enjoy, find out what you love, then find a way to make money at it. And I promise you, it doesn't matter what you love. It's a big enough world. Right now, we're connected to so many people. If you have a tiny niche, one one millionth of the population out on planet Earth, that's enough to get rich, even with the tiniest niche. And by the way, that's one mm. of those phrases that makes sense. Your niche will make you rich. And again, it's one of the things where when it comes to uh, the finances as well, it's make sure you're doing it from the right reasons. Because again, people have sort of alluded to it earlier on, people think that when they get this financial uh, reward, that somehow they're going to instantly be happy. And again, I'm sure you know this as well. It, it doesn't. Like, don't get me wrong, having a nice car, having a nice house, it does make you happy. And anyone says it doesn't, you're fucking idiots. Like, of course it does. But that's short lived. It's understanding that you're not going to instantly be happy. You, you, how, many, how many celebrities uh, end up committing suicide? Because again, they've got all the money in the world they've got everything you could think of like they are literally idolized but they haven't worked on themselves and actually being happy being impactful and again it's not necessarily adding value from the music because they clearly do do that but it's like they clearly didn't have that purpose and that 
bigger reason, that bigger picture, and they just missed something. And again, I know it's a massive broad statement there to make, and everyone's different. I completely understand that. And again, it's such a broad topic to go down. But fundamentally, money will not make you happy. It will not make you happy. So what you said there, find what you love, because what you love will make you happy. And then if you love what you do, then the money will come. It's a very simple form. But again, we're not taught that. And it's, it's something that, again, I wish I knew when I was younger, because so many people just stuck in that rat race. Again, uh, every now and again, I, I, I get my diary mixed up and I end up getting caught in rush hour when I'm trying to get to the gym. and it breaks my soul to think that people do that day in and day out. It breaks my soul because you've got to think how many hours of their life are they wasting sat in the car going to a job that they don't like, they will never enjoy, they're not earning much money, they're not fulfilled. Now, again, you've got to do what you've got to do, and I get that. I'm not saying quit your job. But wouldn't it be amazing if actually when they got home, they had a side hustle, the side hustle that they love doing. And when they were in the car, they would listen to empowering podcasts that made them feel amazing about their side hustle. But people don't do that. And I think it's, uh, I love the way you've articulated that again. Uh, the final one out of these amazing seven areas is uh, impactful. Now, again, I'm assuming that this kind of summarizes everything here about just making a massive impact. Can you talk about what impact means? Well, quite simply, it, it's how you make change because change is definitely inevitable. There's plenty of people that very, very sadly have had a negative impact on the planet. But let's take the flip side of that. There are people that are having a negative impact right now. Uh, through pushing an agenda that doesn't make sense. But what's happening is a lot of people are waking up. And by the way, there's the flip side of it. And I think that that is a very, very good thing. But impact is going to be change. And, and you know, we want to all leave the world a little better than we found it. And we can do that. But instead of just the world, why not every place? You know, I, I have a, a business partner in Colorado and, you know, one of my grandmasters taught me, Bob, leave every place a little better than you found it. So we just happened to be going to a Whole Foods and there was some trash in the parking lot and I picked up the trash and I just put it in, in the container. And he said, why did you do that? I said, well, it's my philosophy. I just want to make the world a little better than I found it and preferably every place. He says, well, I'm going to join you in that. Well, guess what? So he picked up a piece of trash. Well, what if everybody did that? we would have a much, much, much cleaner world. So impact doesn't have to be anything more than you just being a great example. But again, the, the law of compensation, I do tie together finance and impact. Literally, we're compensated according to how many people we help and how much we help them. And notice what you said when you said, how can I make this time valuable for you? then you had a bigger impact on the person because you were able to zero in faster on what they really wanted. Now, someone else is watching this and they're a trainer and they're going to say, I'm going to do that. That makes sense. Well, think about the ripple effect. That might be five trainers. It might be 10 trainers, each with 10 clients and people are getting better, but they realize that that interaction with that trainer suddenly stepped up and value it. And they may come home and, and, you know, their child's home from school and having a rough day. And you'd say, how can I make this day better for you? Oh, this happened at school. I don't understand this. Well, let's look at it together. Then you have bonding time. That's, that's great impact. So little roundabout there, but ultimately you want to be conscious. You want to be aware. You want to be of service. And then let's talk about the word deserve, break it down. D means of, serve of service you deserve when you're of service. And of course, we all want to deserve a lot. And the universe is going to bring that back to us. We do reap what we sow. 
So it all comes back, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, social, financial, impactful, you really can't separate any one action, nor can you separate us from anything else in the universe. We're all one. And that just makes it beautiful. I love you. Honestly, I absolutely love you. And again, when it comes to being impactful, if you want to make an impact on someone's life, like and share this episode with people, because again, the value that this man has brought over the last however long we've been talking, if you want to make an impact on someone's life, just share it. Just share that and help enlighten some people that might be struggling. Dr. Bob, I've got two final questions for you that I like to ask most of my guests. Just again, it's like a, uh, one of them is my favorite questions, but what sort of habits and routines do you have in place in your life that help you stay grounded. So again, one of them you said about you reach out to people, but do you have like a morning and evening routine? Do you have things again? I know you say like you, you, uh, you really about your sleep, but what habits and routines do you have that help you stay grounded and this amazing person? Well, I'm going to have all of my sevens, right? I'm going to eat right, drink right, think right, move right, sleep right, poop right, talk right every day. And I'm going to consciously pursue excellence in mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, social, financial, impactful. My morning routine is a little tweak on Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning, and he uses this acronym Life uh, Savers, S-A-V-E-R-S. There's only six. I like seven, so I make it Lifesavers, but it's just the L, and that first L is love. I wake up and I consciously send love to people, especially that I people, people that I feel need it, and maybe someone that I had a, a not-so-good interaction with, and there's not many of those, but if that's ever the case... That's always on my mind the first thing the next morning to send that person love. I'm going to send love to at least three people. The S is silence, and you might as well call it sacred silence. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to give thanks to the universe, to God for peace, for love, for life. And I'm going to ask for guidance. What can I do to make this world better? So the A, he used the word affirmations. But I really like to question affirmations. That's a book by Noah St. John. Instead of saying, I'm the greatest functional medicine practitioner on the planet, that's very hard to, to own that. There's a little discontinuity there. So I don't want to lie to myself. But I ask the question, why do I strive to be the greatest functional medicine practitioner that I can be? And then you build reasons of why it is worthwhile. I can have impact. I can help people. I can make a great living. I can get on great podcasts by doing that. The V is going to be visualize. And I've even taken that a step further. A lot of people are familiar with the term visualization, but I like feelingizations. So if you visualize, you're just seeing it in your mind's eye. But if you're feeling it, you're bringing in all the senses. You're bringing it into the body and you're making that better. The E is going to be exercise. I exercise every morning. You know, now it's very warm in Houston, Texas, but I swim every morning. I've got a beautiful saltwater pool with a lazy river and I swim against the current. And, you know, one lap around is like a really intense quarter mile run. But we had a day where it was 14 degrees. I know you're on the Celsius scale. So maybe it was negative nine or something like that. And I swam outside and, you know, and the water was all of, you know, four degrees. So that was really quite a wake up. And I even did a Facebook live. And guess what? You can get used to about anything. The R is going to be read. I read something that's going to move me in the direction of expanding my life, my vision, my expertise, at least 10 minutes every day. And then the S is scribe. I'm going to write my goals. I'm going to draw them out. I'm going to make the day better. So that's my morning routine. Now, nighttime is definitely easier. I'm going to have an electronic sunset. I'm going to have a consistent bedtime. 
you know, the book Peak by Anders Ericsson, they looked at the best of the best in every field. They slept 8.6 hours a night. I strive to get that. And I, I hate to say that I rarely do. Sleep is one of my challenges, but I'm going to budget about nine and a half hours in bed to hopefully get seven good hours of sleep. And, you know, in time, I hope to master that, but, you know, still have it, but have that wind down routine. And then you've got several things within there, morning routine, night routine, consciousness for all life areas every day. That was probably one of my favorite seven minutes. So that, honestly, that, that was brilliant. Like, do, do, do you know what I said to you? Uh, going back and forth, I wanted to give the audience some value they could use straight away. You literally, when it comes to a morning routine, have given people the blueprint of how to nail down their mornings. That is brilliant. Like the love. Again, Owen spoke about that as well. So Owen spoke about waking up and again, showing up. And I love the fact that you're doing it from a place of people may be upset, not feeling great with you. You're just sending them love anyway, regardless. Uh, the silence. Love that. The thing that the one thing I want to, to, to two things that stuff for me that you've blown my mind on is the affirmations. Big believe in affirmations. Spoke about Michael Logier about I'm in the process of rather than saying I am, because again, that little voice will say, no, you're not. But then asking yourself, why? Why do I strive for that? And then list the reasons why. That right there, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that because that is gold. Because most of the stuff I kind of do, but you've helped me expand that. And the big one here, visualization, feeling. Again, I spoke about this before on, on previous episodes. It's not enough to visualize something. You have to actually feel it. And again, when it comes to visualization, again, if you want to get deep on visualization, here's the key. You have to, let's say you're trying to visualize um, I don't know, your dream car. It's not enough to visualize a dream car. You have to visualize you in your dream car and you have to feel as if it is already yours. Like you already own it. It's not, oh, I would love to have. No, 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 no. Feel what it would be like to drive your dream car. It is yours. Feel like you already have it. It's called the law of assumption. Assume that it's already yours. I just wanted to clarify that because that, that was gold right there. Absolute gold. Um, so I just wanted to pile my little bit in there to just sort of clarify that. Oh, man, that's, I, 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 I'm now taking that morning routine off you. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't have a lazy river swimming pool just yet. So I'll stick with my cold showers, but I will get there and I'll, I'll email you when I get that. And I'll, I'll do a live video. And I'll tag you in it when, when I get my little lazy Perfect. river. Final question. <laughs> Final question. Uh, what advice would you give someone right now that's been listening to this podcast and say, Dr. Bob, you've been absolutely brilliant. I understand exactly what you're saying. You give me some really usable information, but I'm struggling and I'm stuck and I feel out of control. What advice would you give to someone that does feel stuck and out of control? Well, you want to reach out to someone that can help you get out of that. I'm a huge fan of mentors, of coaches. Sometimes the reaching out is just a book. You know, for years, my January one routine was I would read my highlights of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. You know, I probably did that for 20 something years. And, you know, it started out in my teens. I thought, my gosh, I don't have very many friends. Why is that? And, and so how about how to win friends and influence people? Well, to have more friends, you should be a friend, right? Be a better friend to have better friends. But ultimately, the wisdom of the universe is there. Find a person that seems to be further along the path than you are. And if they are, you know, the type of person you want to interact with, when you ask them for a little bit of advice, they'll freely give it. You know, I had a multimillionaire in this morning and I had a colleague reach out to me. He's got a, a, an invention that he wants to bring to market. And so I asked my multimillionaire patient, 
would you be willing to talk to this person? He says, of course, I'm always willing to talk to people. And guess what? When you see the best of the best, they're always willing to do that. And so just reach out, send messages out, find someone that's in a little better place and get that nudge in a little better direction and keep building on it. And by the way, this podcast will be a great way to do it because obviously you're bringing in some great information and adding your unique, wonderful, enlightened perspective. And that's exactly what you did to me. You just reached out. Again, just reaching out, trying to help people. And again, your, your message was really... And I'm going to be completely honest with you. When you initially messaged me, I thought that you were reaching out to try and sell me something or something along those lines. Happy birthday. And that's why I humored you. I thought, okay, Dr. Bob, I'll humor you. And then the conversation went back and forth. And I realized this guy actually does care. Because first of all, I didn't even think it was you that was messaging me. Because I've got a virtual assistant. So she reached out to people. And I thought, okay, I'll humor you, Dr. Bob. And it became very apparent quite quickly that it actually was you that I was talking to. And that's when I was like, this guy's the real deal. I need to talk to him. And talking to you right now, you have absolutely blown me away. And I genuinely mean that because you see people come across a certain way on the videos. It's very, very easy to fake it. It's very, very easy to pretend that you're happy. It's very, very easy to pretend that you're knowledgeable. But what you've just done here on this podcast is demonstrate the kind of person that you genuinely are. And I feel very, very humbled to have spent this time talking to someone that clearly knows their shit. They clearly care about people. They clearly care about adding value. And they are genuinely amazing human beings. I just want to say thank you very much. This genuinely for me, I know my audience will have taken value from this, but for me, genuinely, this has been awesome. And I, I really, truly mean that. And it's been an absolute pleasure to be talking to you. Uh, we'll get ten this afternoon for you, but this evening for me, it's been absolutely amazing. So I just want to say thank you very much. Where can people find out more information about you? You know, I should get better at keeping up on my website as you found my bio was behind, but start with thedrbob.com, T-H-E-D-R-B-O-B.com. There's a couple of different links that will lead to it. Also, drbobrakowski.com, but that's a good start. I also have a public figure Facebook page. And, you know, part of my mission is to try to add a little value, a little positivity to the world every single day. And I, I want to thank you for helping me with my mission. And I've enjoyed every moment of this. I'll make sure that, um, that Mikey puts the, uh, the thing across the bottom. Because again, your last name, I'll make sure that it's there across the bottom of the screen so people can actually get that. And again, all the links in the show notes so you can go check out Dr. Bob. Uh, Dr. Bob, again, thank you ever so much for your time. Have an amazing afternoon. Uh, and I know that this will not be the last time that we speak. I look forward to our next time. And oh, send this care. to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it on all of my Facebook pages. So thank you. Thank you.